This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, yo, say hello to the podcast guy. It's Mark Madden with the Mark Madden Podcast on the Mark Madden Podcast Network. Okay, that's not exactly true. It's the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And to open up in honor of Chris Letang, who played game number 1,000 on his NHL career this past Sunday at home against Philadelphia, I got my top three list, the top three Chris Letang moments. Number one, That's easy. The Stanley Cup winning goal at San Jose in 2016 put the Penguins ahead to stay in game six. Number two, the overtime game winner against Washington in game three in 2009. That uh, gave the Penguins their first win of the series. If they lose that one, they're down three games to none and series over. So that goal, as much as any goal that year, made winning the Stanley Cup possible. And number three, in 2015, both Sid and Gino were injured. They missed a game, and Latang had five helpers in a game against Winnipeg. The Penguins won that night 5-3, Latang in on every goal. Uh, but mostly, these great moments duly noted, Chris Latang has been about the cumulative. He plays 28 minutes or more just about every night. He's a one-man breakout. He's a risk-versus-reward guy, to be sure, but he reaps plenty of reward. And he's the consummate professional, always prepared, always in perfect condition. He had a couple strokes into a guy in the shape Chris Letang's in. Well, those turned out to be just momentary setbacks. He's 100% dedicated to his career and to his craft. So salute to Chris Letang on 1,000 NHL games played. When you take into account the minutes he puts in, it's more like 1,500 games played. Sid said that first, and I just copied. Uh, let's welcome my co-host, Tom Offerman. Tom, is Chris Letang the best defenseman of Penguins history? Yeah, especially just because Paul Coffey didn't you know, play here for his entire career. So I think that that just makes it kind of easy to say he's ahead of Coffey. You know, you don't really have to debate it too hard. You can kind of get the cop out there. Well, Coffey was an oiler, too, so it doesn't really matter. He's the best Penguin defenseman for sure all time, and... The time on ice thing, Mark, that's what's most eye-popping about him. Uh, Playing 30 minutes on Sunday against the Flyers at his age, it's troubling to think where they'd be as a team if he wasn't available. Oh, no question, especially now with all the injuries on defense because i got to be blunt, he's the only above-average NHL defenseman in uniform right now with with Pedersen and and the rest injured. And and he's still allowing the Penguins to make a a fist of it and and stay – stuck into the playoff chase. Uh, I would say number two is definitely Koff. Uh, you mentioned his short tenure, and that definitely applies and definitely puts him 
I think, behind Latang. But he made the Penguins into a winner, you know, coming over from Edmonton where he had won cups. Incredible offensive impact and arguably the best skater in Penguins history. Number three, probably Larry Murphy, although Randy Carlisle won the Norris Trophy as the NHL's best defenseman in 1981. He's the only Penguin to ever do so. But Murph was just so excellent and, you know, went to Detroit, won cups there too. It it is funny how some of the guys we're talking about that are nailed on Hall of Fame guys, Tom. Like Paul Coffey played for the Oilers, the Penguins, the Kings, the Bruins, the Flyers. (laughs) I I think he did a a stint with the Whalers. He was just about everywhere. Same with Murph. Uh, Kings, North Stars, Penguins, Red Wings, Capitals, just all over the place. Uh, I'm not going to say that's diminished any of their careers, but uh, I think the fact that Latang spent all of his with one team says a lot about him, his relationship with the team, and the team's loyalty to him. Not that he was ever playing bad enough where you'd want to run him out of town, but they did bring him back. The price on his current deal that he just signed this past offseason, what's the cap at? I think 6.1 Something mil like per that, year. Yeah. It's reasonable. Right. He could have gone somewhere else for more. But it wouldn't have shocked me if the Penguins would have tried to get him for less either. I think that was the proverbial happy medium. I mean, you had speculated all offseason before they signed him that he could go to Montreal and they would just basically hand him a blank check. Like to be 8 to fa- $10 million a year, yeah. Yeah, to be the face of their franchise. So, yeah, there was a little bit of give from him there to stay in Pittsburgh. But if he finishes his career in Pittsburgh, and that's not a guarantee right now, but if he does, it just adds more weight to his legacy. Because like you said, it it's rare, especially in hockey, to have guys that just go from start to finish with one team. You know what is uh, unusual for Tanger, and I don't think this bothers him, but but on his team, he's at best the third best legacy within the context of, of when he played. And within the context of the franchise in general, he's probably... He's in the top 10, but probably near the bottom of it. And I've always found the dynamic between the fan base and Chris Letang so fascinating, too, because for how great of a player he is, he has his fair share of haters out there that seem irrational it, to it, me at it's, times. It's a small but vocal group. Very vocal Like group. the guy who sniffs jock straps on uh, on Twitter. Uh, but, yeah, but, but I mean, if you know hockey, there's no doubting his impact. When you hear Paul Coffey himself wax... Uh, such praise for Chris Letang. It just, it, that's all the people need to know. Now, uh, what about the Malkin sideshow on Sunday? Three <laughs> minors inside of seven minutes in the second period, and then early in the third period, another minor, a misconduct, and a game misconduct. Uh, that could have lost the game for the Penguins. In fact, they're very fortunate. He's very fortunate that, that the Flyers are that bad and couldn't quite catch up. I'm glad the game didn't last another five minutes because it was definitely squeaky bum time. No question, as it seems to always be when it comes to the third period with the Penguins, no matter how big of a lead they have entering it. It was extremely selfish from Malkin, and I just think he's really lucky that it was against the Flyers and against the team that they were still able to squeak out the win with him acting like 28 penalty minutes is just absurd. So he's extremely lucky. People are going to kind of gloss over that now conveniently because they beat the Flyers in that game, but... If he continues to act that selfishly against to- what, what, the Devils what do you mean tonight, continues? he always has. That, that was, was just, extreme. Though. It was I an mean, extreme example. But like Tyler Kennedy said on my show, Tom, only two guys could really give him a hard time about it, and that's Sid and Tanger, and I don't think either would be so inclined. 
No, I, I I think you're right about that. But if he does that this week against the Devils of the Wild, teams that they need to get some points by and really good teams, uh, they can't survive with him in the box for 28 minutes of game time. By the time uh, – well, he, he'd never get the 28-minute thing again, but I thought the more disruptive part was this three straight minor penalties inside of seven minutes in the second period. You're basically putting the other team on a nonstop power play. And your PK's just getting gassed, too. I mean, they're out there trying to kill for six minutes straight. Now, uh, the Penguins, uh, as we tape this, they're going to play at New Jersey tonight. Then uh, they host Minnesota Thursday. No point talking about matchups, but do you think they'll make the playoffs? And in their five remaining games, Tom, what does their record need to be minimum to make the playoffs? They got to go four and one over these next five games to make the playoffs. I think three and two probably you think makes it. In with three and two, I think three one and one definitely makes it. I think four and one gets to wild card number one, which is what I I want them to get, and they need to get to have any puncher's chance of having us talk them into winning a game or two in a series. They get swept by Boston, so you got to get out of that Boston matchup. I think they they should go four and one. They're going to drop a game that they shouldn't, though. Like that Red Wings game on the road, they'll drop that one. At Chicago, they'll or at home against Chicago, they'll drop the, they'll dr- the worst one possible. So you don't think they're going to make it? I'm going to say no, because I feel like all— That's a reasonable prediction. And here, let me tell you why. All year long, we've kind of been floating in this purgatory. They'll make it. They'll make it. They'll make it. They have never once had the—they've op- had so many opportunities to grab it. And they just keep letting it slip through their fingers. They and went, I'm going to go the other way. They went 0-3 against Montreal. I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to say that they're not going to make it. They're going to let this slip through their fingers. They're going to lose a couple of games that they shouldn't over this five-game stretch. Here's my other scenario if they play Boston in the first round, by the way. <laughs> they win the first game at Boston. And I would open up the next day's show by saying, well, now they pissed them off. <laughs> and then the Bruins would like club them by three or four goals for four straight games. Yeah, just run them out of the rank for the next. Uh, they have no chance against Boston whatsoever. And I don't think they have much of a chance against Carolina either. They would have a chance to extend the series. Like, if, if you made me pick right now, I would pick Boston in five just because it's so tough to, to sweep, sweep a series. And I would pick uh, Carolina in six. Okay. And I would pick the Devils. If the Devils would overhaul Carolina to finish first, I would pick the Devils in seven against the Penguins because uh, their inexperience in the postseason would show up much like it did with the Penguins when they lost to Ottawa in the first round back in 07, Crosby's first year in the playoffs. Not that Ottawa wasn't a very good team, but the Penguins' inexperience in the postseason was visible. It's just reasonable to me to talk yourself into giving a series against the Hurricanes and the Devils. Trying to do that leading into a Bruins series or during a Bruins series just seems like a waste of time. It just seems like you're just hoping that something will happen and there's no real concrete like logic in your thinking. Whereas with the Hurricanes, with the Devils, I think you could actually make a good case for going seven games with a team like that. I just want it to be over. You want the season done? Well, with? no. I mean, I, I, you know, I make more money if it extends, but I want to like plan trips to Liverpool and go see Kiss at the Garden, stuff like that. Uh, this, this just is, and I'm a, I'm a Penguins guy, but it's obvious what this team is, and it ain't much, and it certainly isn't enough. Now, we talked about the Malkin sideshow. What about another sideshow? This coach at LSU women's basketball, Kim Malky, she dresses like Liberace's sister. I mean, in a way, I love her. And she's controversial. She's a dink. And people give her a hard time for it. But let me tell you, she is a walk in the park. She's a hot fudge Sunday compared to Bobby Knight and the way he acted. And everybody always praised Bobby Knight. Oh, he makes men out of boys. Bobby Knight was a sociopath. Oh, a nut job. I think Kim Mulkey's just kind of a harmless nut job. 
the videos that you see on YouTube of Bobby Knight treating reporters the way that he did, it's it's borderline evil and sadistic. Like, there's just no reason for him to act the way that he did. He would have wound up punching me. You think? If you dealt with him on that beat? I would have said, I I don't know if I would have said F you. I said, look, lighten up. Come on. Like I've seen and then he would have got madder. Like there's videos of him like sitting there with his arms crossed and pouting until one specific reporter left the room. And he's like, I'm not doing anything until you leave. Like just a total ass. Mulkey's not like that. She is tough to talk to sometimes for reporters, so that's why she gets her bad rap there. But it's undeniable her greatness in the sport. That's her fourth title. Yeah, three at Baylor and now one, one at, at L- LSU. second year at LSU. Yeah, and, and to, to win so quickly and to win at a second school, that's, that's really impressive. Now, Caitlin Clark from Iowa. She taunted South Carolina when Iowa beat them in the semis. And then she got it back when um, when Angel Reese of LSU did it to her in the final, using the same motion, the John Cena, you, you can't, can't see me, me yeah. thing. And, and the impression you got from, from a lot of people is that it was okay for Clark to do it because she's a competitor, but not okay for Reese because it's no class. And very rarely do I jump to the conclusion of racism – but that's racism because Clark is white and Reese is black. They did the exact same thing. But even like Keith Olbermann, Keith Olbermann was saying how terrible, you know, Reese was. I mean, if I had my druthers, Tom, neither would have done it. But both did, so it's the same thing. Trash talk is in the DNA of basketball. It's just part of the sport. Like when you do like top 10 lists for the greatest scorers of all time, the greatest rebounders of all time, you'll have one of the greatest trash talkers of all time. It's just, it's part of the game. If you take, if you give it out, you have to take it. And by the way, Caitlin Clark has been taking it. Like everybody. Yeah, just, she ain't complained. Right. They're just, everybody's just white knighting for her and saying how terrible it is that they emphasis that she on the white, it. but like she hasn't said a word and they did ask her about it and she did the total Hooper thing where she said, I didn't even see it. She, she pretended like she didn't see it. She ignored it. That's the great answer from her. Like, it's how sports works, and it's it's so upsetting to see people get so clutching of the pearls over this because they were literally just celebrating it two rounds ago. And, and you say it's the white-black thing, and I think you're right. There is a dynamic there with it. But I also think it's just because people loved Clayton Clark. She was the the one that they crowned. Well, She's well, Steph Curry let me, for let me, female let me, basketball. Let me, let me jump in with, with her coronation because I never heard of her till the Final Four. Did it seem to you like Clark was an invented megastar? And she is good. I mean, I, I took the time to watch her play a, I don't know, maybe a quarter. I I want I want that excited, uh, but I never heard a word about her before the women's final. Now that I have seen her, I conclude what I have concluded every time I see whoever the new women's basketball superstar is, and that's that Susie McConnell Serio <laughs> from from Saint LaSalle and Penn State was probably better. And I'm being very serious. Right, and the sport just wasn't at the point where it is now when she was playing, but I, I did know of Caitlin Clark, but I think she had her national coming out party during this tournament. Obviously you're on the bigger stage. And she's real good. Oh yeah. She's great to watch, but like she gets her ass kicked and everybody just gets upset at the trash talking because that was our girl. And it's like, she was supposed to win. This was her time to win. And Angel I, I'm not Reese sure I heard that, but yeah, I think there was an no, unspoken element of that. thought process for sure, that a lot for of people sure. had. It was just like, this is my girl, I was rooting for her, and you beat her and then rubbed her nose in the dirt too. How dare you? Look, I love when Dave Portnoy of Barstool said oh my God. it was no class. Because when I think of class, the first guy I think of is, is Dave Portnoy of Barstool and his unusual sexual predilections. Now, uh, you, you know, the only women's basketball player I've seen who lived up to the billing was Brianna Stewart. She She's was nasty. and is unbelievable. She's a real difference maker. But like I remember when Sue Bird 
Remember when she was the flavor du jour? Yes. And like I saw her point, I go, okay, she's not as good as Susie. I mean, like, like, you know, it just, I don't know, maybe I saw a real good player real early in the in the ascension of women's basketball, but I, I just am not impressed by anybody, overly so, except Brianna Stewart. Yeah, Brianna Stewart's really good. Candace Parker, too, was another one that came up and was just incredible to watch. But you're right. They kind of make it seem like when a Caitlin Clark comes around that she's new. Like, this is something that's never happened before. Well, she's a junior. But it's not the case either. Like, there's players, like you just said, Susie mcconnell Syria, great players that came before her, before her that were just as impactful, if not more so. Well, Susie was, like, late 20s when the WNBA started, and she missed the first year, I think because she was pregnant, and then she won Rookie of the Year at, like, 29 or whatever she was. I mean, you know, her story's not told enough. How great she was. So I think a lot of the Caitlin Clark is changing women's basketball and growing the sport. That's a little overblown because there's been players better than, if not equal to her, in the past. I saw Susie McConnell once playing a pickup game in a playground. I, I don't know what the occasion when I was there, why. I think I might have been playing street hockey either before or after. Right. Seriously, because it was in Brookline, right? And she was playing with a bunch of guys, and the guys were just getting hot because she was humiliating <laughs> them. It was just, ugh. It was, it was uh, I would say men against boys, but... One of the all-time great women players against men. Um, isn't it absurd that Clark is trapped another year at Iowa because her class has to graduate before she's drafted? That's the WNBA's rule. Then again, maybe she makes more in NIL at Iowa than she would in the WNBA because she's, I believe, made over a million in NIL already. I think so. She's actually, I was looking at a list uh, yesterday of like top 50 earners in college sports NIL. You'd be surprised to know that Bronny James is at the top of the list by now with $7.1 Because he really he needs was, the money. Exactly. $7.1 I know. It's you nuts. know what will be one of the most disgraceful events in sports history? When he gets drafted in the first round, doesn't deserve to, and they maneuver him and his dad on the so same get team. Get the same team. Get that Griffey kind of effect going. Right. And LeBron Jr. starts even though he's not good enough. Oh, absolutely. LeBron. That would be in LeBron's contract. Bronny has to start next to me or else I'm not coming. That will be so horrible when that happens, not least because no one will call it out for what it is except for, I guess, me. Horrible is a word for it, or great, because it'll be awesome to watch. Like, like on, on Get Up, they will literally break out the rubber gloves and KY jelly <laughs> and not say one thing bad about it, even though the flaws will be noticeable. Uh, Clark is outside of the top 50 right now, but I think you're right. After this tournament run, she's going to rocket up the NIL money board. But but you're right. Like, Where is the outrage there for the WNBA not allowing women under 22 to get into the no, draft? Nobody watches it. Right, but that why can't we have outrage about something that actually deserves it there? Because that is incredibly unfair to the working force. It should be you're right, she could probably make more in college, but that's her decision. When you're eighteen, you should be able to play right. any sport professionally. I understand the buffer with football because at eighteen you're not physically ready. Yes. And in hockey and baseball you can, so it's just basketball. Right, exactly. Um so uh, you have to give the athlete the choice. Maybe it would be better for her financially to stay at Iowa, but she has to be the one to be able to weigh both of those options. It can't be made for her. Jill Biden wants both the winning and losing teams to visit the White House. Iowa and LSU. Um, Angel Reese, who is quickly becoming my favorite female athlete ever. She's awesome. She said it's a joke, and it is a joke. It I mean, is. But that's i got to be honest, that's woke culture. We don't want winners and losers. We want to turn everybody into one faceless, nameless blob. And you know what? I've seen a lot of women hoopers come out and say against what Jill said there, you know, that isn't doing our sport any favors. Like, you're not taking our sport seriously as a sport. It's extremely condescending. Exactly. And 
It's making sure the hyped-up white girl goes. Exactly. I don't know if that's the intent, but it is doing that. The Bidens want their their photo up with with Caitlyn Clark. They don't want it with Angel Reese. And you think you think that when when Angel Reese or Caitlyn Clark or all of the above get there, that the Bidens will be able to recognize them? <laughs> There's no chance. I don't. I'm not sure they can recognize each other. At if this I was, point, if I was Angel Reese, I'd say screw it. I'm not going. Right? Like, I well, if I were absolutely. LSU, I, I wouldn't go. If if, uh, if they have the coach that might have the balls to do that, I know, and they shouldn't go. I think the whole thing is overblown. I've never seen that as an honor, especially since we started picking sides yeah. politically. Yeah, I agree. It's lost its luster for sure in recent years, as a lot of things politically have. Uh, but you don't hear her coming out and saying that she wants San Diego State to come to the, the White House after they lost to UConn in the national championship game. So it is extremely condescending to the sport. It, is that what happened? I didn't watch. Oh, yeah, they got slaughtered. Yeah, the NCAA men's final was boring. I thought it was a bad tournament in general. Ratings for the final four, just this just in, Tom, down 29% from last year. That makes no a brand lot of names. sense. I mean, last year's final was Kansas, North Carolina, and North Carolina Every, Duke led into that Everybody game. loves the brand names. And, and you know, uh, they might say they love the upsets, but then when they get to the final, there's no brand names. The ratings go in the toilet. It's time for Good Cop, Bad Cop. What do you got, Tom? All right, today's Good Cop, Bad Cop is pretty topical. Since Easter Sunday is on Sunday, we're going to do Easter candy for Good Cop, Bad Cop. Uh, okay. I know who your good cop is. It's Baby Banks. Baby Banks. So yeah. I wrote Baby Banks down just because I'm not even going to fight you on it. You, you know, you know, because you'd be fired immediately. <laughs> Baby Banks is a is a treasure, not least on Easter. Did you know the factory exploded? I did. And, and like, I just found out today talking to somebody, it didn't just like cause a little damage. The factory's gone. It was this giant explosion. There's there's concern that that might be the end of Baby Banks. End of end of. Uh, what is it, Parker Candies or whatever it's called? Did they manufacture enough Baby Binks bunnies to get on the shelves this year? I went out and bought a dozen. So you're good for this season. I'm probably good for next season, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but that's so sad. Seven people lost their lives. Uh, baby Binks is the ultimate Easter candy. And to get touching for a minute, every Easter I go out and put a Baby Binks on my mother's grave because she loved Baby Binks. Okay, what's the bad cop? Bad cop is Peeps. Yeah, no doubt. I hate Peeps. I don't understand how they're so popular. Have you seen like all the offshoot flavors they have now too, like Hot Tamale Peeps or like Oreo Peep or stuff like well, what that? What about Iron City uh, Turner's Tea Beer? I mean, yeah, come gross. on. That's real gross. That, that, like that's, that's almost, but you're right, the Peeps. You know what the bad thing about the Peeps is? Disgusting. They're so sugary, you do get a little bit of a rush. But then they get stuck in your teeth. That's a great call. Like a peep is that thing you take the first bite of and you're like, oh, that's not bad. And then when you put the whole thing in your mouth. It's, it's horrible. Like, oh, you regret big it. Big mistake. What's your feeling on jelly beans? Uh, thumbs down. Thumbs down. I'm a little hit or miss on that too. It depends on the brand. But they, you can get some really stinky jelly beans. Yeah. I, to be honest, for me, it's binks or nothing at Easter. Uh, I, I want to talk briefly about the Brian Reynolds situation before we go to five guys. Brian Reynolds uh, has three home runs already. Yep. Uh, none of those home runs triggered his opt-out cause <laughs> or enabled him to get it in, in in the new contract. Do you agree with me, Tom, that, uh, okay, you've agreed on money, you've agreed on years, don't you just give him the opt-out to get the deal done and worry about it in four years? Yeah, because the opt-out, e- even with that opt-out of after four years, you're buying two years of his free agency. So that's... All the name of the game. No, just is. one. Just one with that? Yeah, because they're replacing uh, this okay, year of okay. the contract. But still, you're eating into that free agency time clock, and that's the name of the game for a small market team. You see, my big thing is he's no superstar. He's no McCutcheon in his I prime. I agree with that. So I'd, I'd like to have him, and I think it's great PR. I, I would kind of tick, tickle the ivories on, hey, how about we get an opt-out cost too? I'd just like to hear what he had to say. 
Because if if why should you get one if we don't? He'll say because I gave back twenty seven million in negotiating, and and he did. And I think he's right to want to to feel he deserves something for having given back that kind of money. Um, I'd also uh, inquire about uh, a fi- you know doing after the fifth year, so you getting get one two more years year of free agency. Yes, yes. I would at least have to counter with both of those things. Yeah, and see what he says, and see what he says, but. Uh, I would have to swallow my pride if he says no to both of them, and I would still give him the deal. Yeah, and, and and he's willing to backload it. See, here's the thing: if he stinks, he won't opt out. He'll just you know Keep put the pirates the on yeah. the hook, right? And you can't blame him because that's you know that's why he gave back that twenty seven mil. So to your point, that's why you should probably try to work in the team one too. Yeah, but to he won't he won't that. do that. I just again, I'd just be curious to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, though, about his star power. Like, he's already 28 years old. I think he's a very good baseball player, but he's never going to be a superstar. And he ain't going to sell merch. No, I think— He, he ain't, he ain't going to move tickets like Kutch. And the, the highest potential player for that is Cruz right now. It's not even Reynolds. So that would be the guy that I would look at more than Reynolds. Well, that's a problem, too, Tom, because if you, if you, if you don't sign him after all this talk and negotiating, especially with it being done so publicly, what's O'Neill Cruz think? And he's watching all of this right now and, and taking a lot of notes. So, yeah. The thing that's extra frustrating, though, is a real baseball team that's trying to compete, they don't even think twice about this thing. Reynolds is signed and locked up for at least that one Well, they would have given him enough money to not even have an opt-out. How, how about this? How about this for splitting the difference? Say, okay, we'll add $10 million more to the total deal and have the opt-out after five years. Yeah, I mean, either way, you have to be competitive by 2024, 2025. So, like... He is a Define competitive. For them, flirting around 500. And he has, Oh, you got to be better than that. He's got to be in that picture. So sign him and make sure that he is. Keep him happy while he's in that window. I would do this deal even with the opt-out after four years. There are guys on that team I still don't know who they are. Oh, yeah, it's nice. Like, that, this guy hit a home run last night over the Green Monster Delay. <laughs> Jason Delay. I'm like, I'm like kind of half asleep, and I hear Ronnie, whoever, yelled, Delay! And I, I thought it was raining. I thought, like, you know, <laughs> why, would, why would you yell about that? Um, okay, let's go to Good Cop, Bad Cop. All right, today's Good Cop, Bad Cop are teen-slash-kid actors or actresses that actually went on to have successful careers in the adult uh, film world. Number five, Drew Barrymore. Wait, when you say adult film world... Bad world, bad turn of phrase there. Right. I, do you ever read the Movies. book... Do you ever read the book, The Other Hollywood? No. The Unspoken Oral History of the uh, Adult Film Industry? No, it's a really good book, seriously. Credible, very credible. Did they make a movie about it? No, they they made a book about the movies. All right, number five, Drew Barrymore. Kid star in E.T., then completely washed out. Like, hardcore addicted to drugs, party scene. Really didn't reemerge until The Wedding Singer, opposite of Adam Sandler, and then really took off as a heartthrob since then. Well, I think she should probably be higher up the list because they've often said the two best performances by both Adam Sandler and Jimmy Fallon in movies were with Drew Barrymore as the co-star. And uh, that's like the equivalent of her being Catherine Hepburn. You, you know, because those are not two good actors. I mean, Sandler's very funny, but he always plays himself. Jimmy Fallon, did you see that movie he did, uh, Taxi, with Queen Latifah? Yes. Oh. And Giselle Bunchen played well, the heel in that uh, movie. And looked good, too. <laughs> yeah. But that was a crime against against cinema. Yes, that was bad. So, okay, Drew Barrymore definitely should be on the list, probably higher up. All right, number four, I have Jason Bateman. Little House on the Prairie had a 21-episode run as a real young kid. And, of course, who could forget Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O, as in Teen Wolf also. And then he was kind of invisible for a while, just like Drew Barrymore. 
Arrested Development comes around in 2003. He's cast as the lead, and he's taken off ever since. Now he's a superstar. How old is he? He's got to be 55. He's got to be in his 50s now. Yeah, uh, I think he's an excellent actor. I thought, um, I think he's gone from like from like comedies to drama. Like, for example, how many guys could be in both Horrible Bosses and Ozark? Yeah, the range for Jason Bateman is, is really incredible, but... He was in, like, as the kid actor, like, Teen Wolf 2, he's spoken about how he thought that movie killed him. Like, he thought that he was never going to be a successful actor. I thought that, that movie, movie killed him, too. <laughs> and uh, and his sister, Justine Bateman, what was she in? <sighs> Family Ties? As a kid, right? Yeah. With Alex Keaton? She was before him, Michael though, J. Fox? Yeah. Yeah, she was hot. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was hot. Was, she, he was fighting against that, too, with his sister being more successful than him. Number three, Natalie Portman. Leon the Professional, Heat, Mars Attacks, all roles as a kid slash a teen. And she didn't have like the break like Jason Bateman or Drew Barrymore. She kind of just rode right through into adulthood and is now a mega star as well. So I would have her below the two you've already said, but go Drew ahead. Drew Barrymore ahead of Natalie Portman? I'd have Drew Barrymore and, and uh, Jason Bateman. Agreed she belongs on the list, though, Portman. Let me hear who else you have. Ron Howard, number two. Oh, no question. Has to be In fact, I'm shocked he's not number one. He probably could have been number one. Number one was Leonardo DiCaprio. Ron no. Howard, Opie. Friggin' Opie. And now he just, like, runs Hollywood. He's a super director, He's, like, the greatest director, producer, like, maybe ever. Yeah, and Happy Days, too, for Ron Howard. So, uh, but Leonardo DiCaprio was my number one. Who would have thought that, like, Opie and Richie Cunningham would would turn out to be... Yeah, exactly. And, and, like, and do such a great job, you know, although he was one of the first... I don't know it was the first time, but he left Happy Days and they kept the show going. I think that was one of the first instances of one of the lead characters leaving... A TV sitcom, and they just and the show didn't die with them. They, well, it it did. They just didn't know it. Uh, what's your favorite Ron Howard movie, directing wise? I got to go Apollo thirteen. I love that movie. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, you didn't I, like Apollo thirteen much. I, I don't like space. Okay. Star Wars fiction, but that's not fiction. That's a true story. I know. No, I say fiction or you know, or autobiographical. Okay. I just don't. Space I, I is your cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, name a few more Ron Howard movies. I'm kind of blanking here. Yeah, I mean, Apollo 13 is just right up there for me. I know he's an executive producer in a lot of big movies now, like the new Tetris movie that just came out. He's, yeah, he's I won't ever that. see it. <laughs> Arrested Development, he produced. Frost Nixon, he was a producer. Let's see here. Director Ron Howard. Rush, did you see that movie that recently came out? No. About the uh, racing As it turns out, maybe I don't think Ron maybe Howard's like that Ron big Howard, a deal. The Da Vinci yeah. Code, he made those movies. Apollo 13. Yeah, maybe you just hate Ron Howard. Cocoon. Oh, wait, I'll, I'll tell you one. I know you've seen I, Cocoon. I'm looking here at the list. I really like Cinderella Man. Okay, there you go. Cinderella Man. One. And I'm not the biggest Russell Crowe fan, but I thought Cinderella Man was brilliant. He has 129 production credits with 49 more in the works, Ron Howard. Uh, number one, Leo, Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, Growing Pains, Basketball Diaries, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, but now he's like the best actor ever. He was in the, the one with, uh, wasn't he in one where he was a Boy Scout and De Niro was an abusive father? I don't know. I don't. I never saw it if he was. We need to be better prepared I for know, this. Well, I know Basketball Diaries and What's Eating Gilbert Grape were the two big ones for him as a child. Well, basketball, but he, but he was a teenager for Basketball Diaries, wasn't he? Right, but that's that's why I put teen in the disclaimer, too. Teen slash child actor. Because Bateman was kind of a teen when he was in Teen Wolf 2 as well. I can't believe, did you ever, you didn't watch Teen Wolf 2. I've seen parts, I like Teen Wolf, the original one. So of course I naturally would try to watch Teen Wolf 2. It's unwatchable as a movie. Oh, it says here DiCaprio had a brief installment in the in the first installment of the Poison Ivy film series, which was softcore porn with, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Drew Barrymore. I think she was the original Poison Ivy. Jamie Presley, that was wow. the first time I saw Jamie Presley. But yeah, I found This Boy's Life. 
that was where he was the De Niro's son, I want to say. Yeah, so really successful child actor and like Natalie Portman, didn't have like a down period where he like kind of just partied or like was away from the public eye, just kind of rolled right into Titanic and into adulthood and, and megastardom. Uh, you know you left out? Yeah. Maureen McCormick. Okay. Marsha Brady. What? Oh, she's in like a bunch of like made-for-TV shows. No, now, I don't right? think she or... was, but but in her autobiography, she talked about uh, about trading sex for cocaine when she was like in her in her prime as Marsha Brady. And I'm like, where was I? I mean, I never did cocaine, but I could sure enough get it. <laughs> I could be talked into doing cocaine by Marsha Brady. Too. No, no, no. Oh, I could. Be. I could talk into faking it. <laughs> Like, like blowing it away. Huh. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, it's too much money to blow away, though. <laughs> hey, I turned on a chance to do cocaine with Motley Crue. Okay, well, there and, you go. And I got them the cocaine. So, <laughs> in fact, I, I think I wound up paying for it. My God, what's the statute of limitations? That's Tom Offerman. I'm Mark Madden. Thank you for listening to me on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.